sometimes Jesus says words that you think, is that really, really the way that you wanted to say that? Um, so. Well, good morning, everyone. It is good to see everybody today on this uh, holiday weekend, and hopefully, uh, whatever your plans are to celebrate uh, tomorrow, pray that uh, it will be a time for you to spend uh, with family, with good food and drink, and uh, a time to relax from our labor. Isn't that what you're supposed to do on Labor Day? So not, not labor. So uh, hopefully everyone will find a little bit of time at least to do that. Uh, I wanted to begin this morning by just saying thank you. Uh, thank you to all of you um, who are here today. Um, you are the ones who have um, stuck with us over the last few years uh, as we have sought to imagine uh, a church community that could be uh, full of people who individually and collectively leverage their abilities and influence and resources to bless their neighbor, and a, a community who is uh, focused on being responsive to the work that the Holy Spirit is doing. And um, I am so thankful for each of you and um, for what you uh, bring to the table as you seek to follow Jesus in your own life and um, here as a church community. Uh, before we pray our opening prayer to um, accept the words of Jesus, I wanted to mention this, and I was uh, going to mention this to David too, but um, I this week as I was planning for the sermon, um, that the song, The Wondrous Cross, came to my mind. And uh, it was playing over in my head over and over again enough to where I intended on texting David and asking him if uh, he could fit that into the song or the set this week. And uh, what's interesting about that is that I never texted him, or at least I don't think I texted him. Uh, and, uh, but God was apparently um, speaking to him as he was speaking to me, and uh, that it just sort of happened that uh, he picked that song, and that was a song that I was thinking through in my preparation. So, uh, that should mean that we all need to listen, right, uh, to what it is that the Holy Spirit has to say to us. And in order for us to be available to what the Holy Spirit has to say, I wonder if you would pray this prayer along with me. Prepare our hearts, O God, to accept your word. Silence in us any voice but your own, that in hearing we may also trust in your ways. Through Christ our Lord, amen. So we have been, over the past several weeks, working through the teachings of Jesus found in the book of Luke. Uh, Luke is a, a unique gospel or a unique account of Jesus's life because it is specifically written from a Jewish standpoint, uh, from a standpoint of a person who is well-versed in the Jewish faith and the Jewish traditions. And the writing from Luke in the Gospel of Luke is a compelling argument specifically for 
people in the Jewish tradition to trust Jesus as the fulfillment of God's law. Now, the interesting thing that we also notice in Luke is that there are all of these uh, distinguishing happenings that Jesus is teaching about that are um, what Jesus calls the traditions of the fathers, right? So uh, we know the story about God handing the law through the prophets to the people of Israel in order to help them to live according to the ways of God in the world and to be a blessing for all other nations in the world. And what happened over the years is that the law of God kind of got added to by what Jesus calls traditions of the fathers. Not the father, but the fathers, the fathers of Israel. Uh, And one of these examples, uh, the disciples and Jesus are sitting down for a meal, and apparently the disciples uh, don't wash their hands. Now, Uh, Washing your hands is a good practice before you eat, right? Um, All of us probably uh, strive to do that or think about doing it, whether we do it or not. Um, I have to remind my children uh, every time before we eat for them to go wash their hands. This morning, uh, we had a a group of kids helping us distribute the donuts from the box onto the plates. And we said to them, kids, don't worry about washing your hands before you touch the donuts. Oh, we had them wash their hands, right, before they touched the donuts, and all of them said that they did. So hopefully the donuts this morning are germ-free. Uh, so they also used gloves, in case you were wondering. Um, but Jesus' disciples, for whatever reason, did not wash their hands. Now, we would see that as a uh, hygiene faux pas, right, and we would call foul um, at least if we had to share utensils or some, ha- some type of interaction with the disciples and something that they touched, we would probably be grossed out about that. But there was a ceremonial washing that took place before you sat down for a meal um, that was a tradition in the Jewish faith, but it was a tradition handed down by the fathers rather than uh, a, a, a certain law of God. So the Pharisees who witnessed Jesus's disciples not wash their hands, says, Jesus, why do you allow your disciples to not wash their hands before they eat? You are clearly violating the law. And Jesus says to them, well, you guys have it a little bit confused. Um, We are following the law of God. This is a tradition that has been handed down by your forefathers. Um, And uh, apparently Jesus wanted to make a statement that said there's a difference between those two things. So Jesus, and uh, is, his words are, are written down in the Gospel of Luke, by Luke, in order to make this appeal to people of the Jewish tradition to accept Jesus and his teachings. So as we realize that, we can kind of begin to see a little bit of some of these stronger passages where Jesus uses some of this very strong language. We can sort of begin to put the pieces together and understand what exactly Jesus is talking about. And this passage that Jeremy just read in Luke 14, um, oftentimes we just kind of bypass it, wish that it wasn't there. 
Um, and if we have to preach on it, uh, you know, it's very tempting to sort of water it down. Actually, uh, this coming Wednesday, we are launching our online uh, community as a part of our um, journey here at Journey. And the reason why we're doing that is we want to connect with people who are unable to be here for whatever reason, whether it be um, geographical reasons or the time doesn't work or whatever um, the reason is. Maybe they just want to try things out before they become a part um, of our in-person community. So we're going to launch our um, online community. And when I was studying for this week and read this passage, I thought to myself, and even I think I said this maybe in the recording, that um, if I was to pick all, pick a scripture to begin an online community with, or any kind of community with, this would be on the top 10 of scriptures that you don't want to pick. Okay? Uh, but that wouldn't be very journey of us, because one of the things that we are attempting to do, one of the things that we're talking about, is to get rid of the yeah buts when it comes to the teaching of Jesus. Right? Um, that is, uh, when we read the teachings of Jesus, that... Sometimes we want to offer a yeah, but in sort of a rebuttal to what it is that we are reading. But if we're going to be followers of the way of Jesus, if Jesus is going to be the Lord of our life, then there really is no room for the yeah, buts. I think maybe we should get some t-shirts made. Uh, uh, we could, it could be a pretty funny shirt there, I guess. But So Jesus spoke these words. So there has to be some significance in them. There has to be some important things for us to learn about what Jesus is teaching here. So in order to begin this conversation, I want to share a story of a person who I had the privilege of meeting, uh, well, actually almost 20 years ago now. Um, but when I was in college, I had the opportunity to go and spend a summer, uh, at least a majority of a summer, in Kosovo. Now, this was in 2004, and if you know anything about recent world history, um, Kosovo at that time was recovering from a war. Kosovo is in southeastern Europe. It's a part of the former Republic of Yugoslavia. They broke up uh, their land into different sovereign nations, and those nations didn't always get along with each other, and you had conflict, and then you had war. It was um, Bosnia, Kosovo, um, Serbia was the invading country. So when we were there, um, they were in the rebuilding phase of um, the timeline, and uh, they were in such a part of that phase that the UN peacekeepers um, were there in order to keep peace. So you would be um, sitting on a patio uh, drinking coffee or banana juice. They had banana juice that was there. I, it was one of my favorite things to drink while we were there. Uh, and you would see three or four tanks roll by and two or three armed personnel carriers with soldiers and um, all of their weapons and in their full gear roll down the street. Um, they were still rebuilding the infrastructure, so uh, occasionally there were times where you would have to go out with electricity, and I thought, wow, I'm in Texas in 2020, right, as we have rolling blackouts here, too. Uh, <clears throat> but the country was being rebuilt, and um, the reason why the Americans were allowed into the country 
was because they had an affinity for all things American because the, uh, when the Serbians invaded, America came to their aid, militarily speaking, and drove the Serbians out. So even though it was a Muslim country, they allowed uh, American missionaries into the country um, because of their uh, appreciation for the military stepping in and helping them out. But being in a Muslim country uh, is an interesting thing for a non-Muslim person. One of the things that I learned there is that uh, when you begin to talk about faith in Jesus to people who are predominantly Muslim, they don't really appreciate that uh, because it violates their traditions that they have been handed down. And that was just sort of a snapshot for me, but for the people who were actually there, who lived there, um, for them to decide to follow Jesus was a choice that would cost them dearly. So the story picks up with my friend Blend. And Blend and I were actually the same age. I don't know why we decided to take this picture in the bathtub. Uh, apparently, we thought that it would be funny for some reason. And so uh, we jumped into the bathtub, and I, I don't know what was going on there. But uh, Blend was much better off by the time that we took this picture. But he was one of the first people who decided to follow Jesus uh, while the missionaries that we were working with were there. And uh, this decision for Blend had dire consequences. Uh, Blend was uh, in high school in the later part of, latter part of his high school years, and he was actually kicked out of his house when his family found out that he decided to follow Jesus. He was malnourished and severely dehydrated, developed uh, severe kidney issues because he decided that he was going to follow Jesus. For us, in our context, following Jesus actually has social benefits, right? Uh, you can think about what those are. There are also some times where it comes in conflict, but for the most part, when we decide to follow Jesus in our culture, there are a lot of advantages for us in that. For my friend Blend, it was a social and physical train wreck. He actually almost died because he decided to follow Jesus. So Blend's story can help us understand what Jesus is speaking about here. So as we look back on the teachings of Jesus, our hindsight is often 2020. But in the ancient Jewish world, Jesus was understandably a controversial figure. He showed up on the scenes challenging their commonly and dearly held traditions. Right? If you and I were around at the time when Jesus came about and we were uh, steeped in Jewish tradition, 
we would probably not have the same affection for Jesus that we do in this moment. Uh, Jesus uh, was a hard person for those steeped in Jewish tradition to trust. There was some appeal towards him, right? He grew up in a Jewish home. He grew up in the Jewish tradition. Um, he was a Jewish teacher, and uh, he, there was some appeal to him because he was able to perform these miracles. He was able to do these things. He had a, a, a unique teaching style, but when the rubber hit the road, there was times when for all of the people seeking to follow Jesus that they had to sort of wonder, is this guy really who he says that he is, or is he just some uh, crazy person who has showed up on the scene? Jesus called out the religious leaders of the day for being corrupted by schemes of the broken order. Now, imagine that you had trust in a religious teacher, and uh, they were teaching something that was in sync with your traditions and your understanding of the scripture. And somebody came to you and said, they're doing it all wrong. Right? You would probably not have warm, fuzzy feelings about that person, uh, to put it lightly. Right? Jesus said things like, you have to be born again. You have to start over again. You have to start from the beginning. He was not an easy pill for people to swallow. For people in Jesus' day to trust him, it was going to cost them. Their families, either over concern, they were being manipulated, or out of anger, because they turned their back on their family traditions. At this decision to follow Jesus, families were divided. Remember also that those who were in power, they wanted to have Jesus killed so that they could silence him. They would not have then been supportive of people who decided to follow his teaching. But it wasn't just the Jewish traditions that were at stake. Remember also that Jesus caused tension between people and the Roman occupiers, right? Uh, the Jewish world at that point was occupied by a foreign ruler in Rome. Rome came in, but in order to try and earn some goodwill with a large portion of the population in that area, they appointed these uh, Jewish rulers all around the place. They gave them a little bit of authority to live under the umbrella of Rome, and as long as they lived underneath that umbrella, they could uh, do what um, they pleased. And as long as they didn't cause any trouble, they could have things the way that they wanted it. So it was a, a, a tense situation between the Jewish people and their Roman occupiers, but it was one that was, um, tried, they tried to manage it well so that they could uh, maintain their religious freedom. So when Jesus showed up and he started speaking words that challenged even the Roman occupiers, 
that was not something that sat well with those, um, either the Romans or with those who had a little bit of power and influence um, because they were playing into the Romans' hands. Uh, You will remember if you can think about the scriptures when it comes to Jesus coming to Jerusalem uh, on, on Passover, the people began to shout, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed be the name of the Lord. When later on, after Jesus was arrested, they, those same people who are crying out Hosanna in the streets began to shout out, we have no king but Caesar. We have no king but Caesar. Right? The followers of Jesus uh, after the day of Pentecost, they began saying to one another as a greeting, Jesus is Lord. Now, that saying doesn't have the same meaning today as it did then, because the greeting of the day in the Roman occupied era was Caesar is Lord, meaning that all of our allegiance, all of our trust, all of uh, our um, value and admiration goes to Caesar. We are paying our allegiance to Caesar. And the first followers of Jesus, they wouldn't say that. But instead of just not saying that, they changed that statement to say, not Caesar, but Jesus is Lord. And if Jesus is Lord, then Caesar is not. So there's fragmentation there as well. Herod, who, if you can remember back to the story, Herod was one of these that was appointed a leader in Jerusalem. He was the king of Judea. Uh, He was willing to, think about this, he was willing to kill, murder all of the boys around the age of Jesus because Jesus was such a threat to his power and influence. Could you imagine the inhumanity of someone who would go to the extent of turning on his own people to murder little boys because he posed a threat to his influence. So now we can begin to see what Jesus is talking about here. We can see why Jesus suggested to his followers that there was going to be some animosity between them and their family members, them and their community leaders, them and Uh, the national leaders, and that this animosity would take place if they decided to follow Jesus. Jesus told them to expect this and to count the cost. To decide if deciding to follow Jesus is worth the cost. Because you don't want to get halfway down this road and figure out, wow, I didn't realize that this is going to happen. I don't want to do this anymore. Right? This is where the analogy of building a tower comes. You don't just start building a tower. You've got to count the cost before you begin. Otherwise, you will be a laughing stock. Is it worth the cost? Jesus' response to this animosity 
was to lay his life down. Jesus' ultimate destination was the cross. Jesus fought this animosity by laying down his life. But before he did that, Jesus said to his followers that they were to pick up their cross and follow him. So Jesus laid down his life. Jesus calls us to pick up our cross and to follow him in the same way. Now, we need to understand that picking up a cross and carrying it isn't simply a difficult burden to carry. Right? The cross is an execution stake. It is a device of death. The only reason that a person would carry a cross is if they were going to be hung upon it and killed. So the question, if we're considering what is the cost, Jesus calls us to pick up our cross and to carry it. So what is it then that is being executed? I wanted to share this quote from an author who um, I really enjoy reading all of his material. Um, but this particular passage comes from a book called The Signature of Jesus. The author's name is Brennan Manning. But here's what he says. Littered along the shoulders of the highway of holiness will lie the skeletons of our egos, the corpses of our fantasies of control, and shards of self-righteousness, self-indulgent spirituality, and our selfish ambition. The greatest need for our time is for the church to become what it seldom has been, to become the body of Christ with its face to the world, loving others regardless of religion or culture, pouring itself out in a life of service, and offering hope to a frightened world, and presenting itself as a real alternative to the existing arrangement. So what is the cost? Jesus said in verse 33, those of you who do not give up everything you cannot be my disciples. What is this that we are called to give up? We're called to give up our egos, our fantasies of control, our self-significance, our self-righteousness, our self-centeredness. And in place of these, we are called to adopt patterns of, as Brennan Manning said, our faces turn towards the world, right? When you, uh, if you might hear a lot about um, the church and its desire to insulate and to isolate itself from the world. Here at Journey, oftentimes we will end our gatherings with the blessing from Numbers chapter 26, where it says, may the Lord bless and keep you. May the Lord turn towards you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn towards you and give you peace, right? This idea of God turning himself towards you, not looking away, not shying away, not with being withheld, but turning towards 
the world. Well, that's the same posture that we are called to, is to turn towards the world, with our face towards the world. Not a church inside of a building, but a church outside of a building. We have to adopt that way. We have to, uh, in place of ego and control and self-righteousness and self-centeredness, learn to love our neighbor, to live lives of service, to choosing people above preference. That is the cost. And to know whether we are paying that cost, there are some byproducts of an individual or a community of people um, who do this, who sacrifice these things. And that byproduct is freedom. Freedom from fear, freedom from judgment, from hostility, from envy. You see, the byproducts of ego and self-centeredness and self-righteousness and control, the byproduct of those things is fear and envy and judgment and hostility. Right? Whereas the byproduct of someone who is living their life according to the way of Jesus, who is following after the way of Jesus, who is uh, patterning their life in the way of Jesus, the byproduct of that life is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and the fruits of the Spirit. So while this seems like a harsh teaching, and definitely when we talk about dying to these things, that is a difficult conversation. But the beauty of it all is that when we let go of ego and control and self-righteousness and self-centeredness, when these things die in our lives, we then learn what it is to live, to be alive according to the kingdom of God and the way of Jesus. Jesus says, whoever wants to hold on to their lives will lose it, but whoever loses their life according to my kingdom will find what it is to truly live. Would you pray with me this morning? Jesus, for us today, many of us made decisions long ago to follow in your way. Jesus, we're grateful for your grace for your transforming power in our lives. We're grateful for the way that you have captured our hearts, our attentions. But Jesus, today we want to make sure that our posture in this moment is one to where we invite you to search us, to search us to see if there is any part of us that has become complacent, any part of us that has become co-opted by the patterns that take instead of give. And that if there are any of those habits within us, that you would identify them and that you would give us the strength to allow your spirit to prune those things out of our lives. And Jesus, we ask that 
you would continue working in the life of our church here to be a church full of people who have their faces turned towards the world, to be that mural that we talked about last week, that mural of your presence in our community, that we would be people who love our neighbors and live that out in a life of service, and to be people who choose our neighbors above our preferences. We ask these things, Jesus, today in your name and for your sake. Amen.